0: Many years ago, uh, while Gail and I were in Maryland, um, very uh, dear friends of ours lost a very young child uh, in a household accident. Certainly there was deep sadness in the family. It was a crushing thing to lose this precious loved one. At the vigil uh, in the hospital, uh, as she hung on to life, um, the pastor of this family um, made this exhortation to the family, um, she, or, or this statement, it, she will recover if you believe. What he said after she passed away made it even worse, if possible. If you believe, she will come back to life. Those well-meaning, I'm sure, but misguided words um, haunt me um, to this day. Uh, At a first reading of Psalm 91, you could get uh, the impression that it presupposes the possibility of a trouble-free life now, in this time, and yet we look around not just seeing families that suffer but in our own nation as our uh, pledge of allegiance goes uh, uh, under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all and yet our our peace uh, in this country uh, is fragile as glass and as we will be reading in this psalm the first the first impression that we might get is that god has profoundly over Promised and under delivered. That is, promised something very, very great and yet not delivered on it. I want you to, um, to make this uh, your, um, your purpose as we consider this psalm tonight that in your suffering um, you would trust your rock hard but gentle-hearted God that in your suffering you would trust your rock-hard but gentle-hearted God. We see in the first couple of verses uh, God assures us of what I'm calling tonight his rock-hard protection. Um the thick-walled fortress as he pictures himself, will not crumble, and spears and arrows will glance off it harmlessly. So is the strength of our God. Let me read those two verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Not only does God portray himself in in the form of a, a fortress, but he also uses four different words for the divine name. This psalm follows right on the heels of Psalm 90, which is Moses' only psalm. And the last several verses of Psalm 90, verses 12 to 17, set us up perfectly for Psalm 91. And, and it seems very appropriate that to consider that each of the, these four names for God appeared first of all um, in the Pentateuch among the lives of our uh, of the patriarchs, and they were fundamentally strangers in a strange land. They were foreigners, they were sojourners, they had a great promise, but they had not received and would not receive even at the time of their deaths, any inch of that. Promised land. They wandered like nomads without ever receiving the promise. Abraham, yet, called God Most High, and God would form a nation from this tired old man. Most High. Uh, God was identified as as Almighty, El Shaddai, and He guaranteed land for homeless wanderers. He was almighty, all-powerful. And he gave, um, he gave to um, Moses this personal covenant name of Lord Yahweh. I am, I am that I am, I am with you. And yet Moses himself could only see the promised land from afar. Uh, Jacob came to be able to pray, My God, I am his and he is mine. But Jacob as well received only the promise and not the reality. So it is that you and I are at home here. And yet we speak a different language in many respects from our fellow citizens in this country. We have different customs. And as we considered this morning, we certainly have different views on the sanctity, the importance, the the, the hallowedness of human life. And it makes a tremendous difference in in how we function as individuals in in this country. And yet, we are protected uh, in His shadow. That that strikes me. A shadow is is nothing but but this blankness that is cast from a very large and close-by object. And and God condescends to remind us and to strengthen us with this understanding that we are safe in His shadow. He hovers over us with a rock-hard reality to protect us we are safe we are untouchable we are secure we are blessed we are protected that's what these first two verses display very wonderfully but the powerful promises for us as nomads are, are, are changed. The shape of them is changed, uh, in the next several verses. We are not only protected by God in His rock hard strength, but also in a warmly personal way. Verse, uh, verses three and four open up this section between three and thirteen. They open up this section with, with poetic language. Poetic language that enables us To feel our theology, to help us realize in our hearts what we already know to be true, but pictured in such a way that, that we are drawn into the very heart of God. It is the picture shift to God's gentle heart in the form of a mother bird protecting her young from cold, the cold and from the driving rain and from predators. She is there hovering over them and protecting them. And so it is that we have have safety and warmth and the comfort of God close enough to us that we could hear and feel, as it were, the warmth and and the beating of His heart hovering right over us. In care. Well, how can we be confident of that? We can be confident because God, like the mother bird, put she puts herself in harm's way. She would would fend off the Fowler's arrow with her own body. She would protect her young with her with her wings, her pinions around the, around the nest. In short, she takes the threats that would be against her young upon herself. She has self-sacrificial love in the warmth of her heart. Let's read verses 3 through 13. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence You will only look with your eyes and you will see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil will be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For you will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder the young lion and the serpent you will trample under foot what huge promises here what vast promises nothing bad will befall you again does god overpromise and under deliver the young lady the little friend or the daughter of my dear friends back in Frederick. Scripture and and experience deny the word of faith that would have preserved her life. That word of faith that some Christians say the word of the Christian has cre- creative power. The word of the Christian can speak things into being to make things that uh, that are not as if they were. And yet we realize that instead God is speaking a covenant promise to Israel here if they were to keep faith in him. We see in the book of Leviticus chapter 26 and other places and certainly chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, there are, there are promises that line up directly with with virtually all of these lavish promises in, in Psalm 91. If Israel would, what, would but believe, then she would receive all of these blessings in her promised land. Uh, there would be, verse 5 of our text here says that there would be nothing, she'd have nothing to be afraid of. Luke 26 says, none shall make you afraid. Verse 7 and 8, uh, thousands will fall, ten thousands at your right hand. And Leviticus says, "You shall chase your enemies, and they'll fall before you, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000." These are God's promises. If Israel were to be faithful, if she were to be faithful to the covenant, God says, "Because you made the Lord your dwelling place, you receive these blessings, verse nine. Uh, Leviticus says, "I will make you my dwelling place, if you are faithful." Uh, verses three and six again of Psalm ninety-one. They, uh, I will deliver you from pestilence and from the plague. And the scriptures, the Old Testament scripture, speaks of the land being at peace and free from pestilence. Deuteronomy says, "If you would obey me." And then we come to the familiar ground of verses eleven uh, to eleven and twelve. The familiar ground that Satan used in his temptation of Jesus. And here's the simple point I want you to see here tonight, people. That Jesus is the true Israelite. And Jesus is the one that kept all of the terms of the covenant perfectly. That he honored the Lord in his faithful obedience, in his relationship to God. And where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus stands strong, resisting Satan's temptation and and he would not test God. Now notice with me at, at verse thirteen: You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will uh, will uh, um, you will trample underfoot. Interesting to me that Satan picked. Uh, he stopped his cherry picking of Psalm ninety one before he got to that verse. And yet there it was: Jesus in His strength in his overpowering by the power of the Spirit, the temptation of the enemy, and Jesus going the way of the cross, did what to Satan? He crushed the head of the serpent. His obedience secured that promised land for you and for me, where all of the promises eventually from Psalm 91 verses 3 through 13 will rest upon us. Let me put it this way. Uh, Psalm 91, verses 3 through 13, represent the ideal Israelite experience if she would but obey. But those same verses um, express the sure Christian experience if we would but wait. It's coming. As we look to Jesus in faith, this perfection is coming. So we can honestly and wholeheartedly say, God has not overpromised and underdelivered. God's promises uh, rest upon us, sojourners now, waiting for the promised land won by Christ. And this is what I want you to focus on today. I want you to focus on these last three verses. And I want you to hang on to these things. And I want you to listen carefully as we we unfold these verses and as we find ways to live in this, as sojourners in this land that is not what it should be. The first thing, um, these are God's promises as we wait. These are God's promises as we wait, as sojourners, not yet home. First thing I want you to consider in these verses is God has taken a bride. God has taken a bride. Um, He, uh, God Himself, uh, and and these verses here are spoken in the first person. These are God's promises to us. He is committing Himself to you, His bride. Um, You, you have seen. You have seen people stand in front of this room. And you have heard them make promises to one another that by God's grace he would keep. And this, these verses are God's wedding vow, wedding vows and commitments to you and me for our time in this sojourn. He, um, for better or for worse, for sickness and in sickness and in health, we say, and God says, I'm taking the initiative, taking you as my bride and making these vows to you. Uh, what, What other sense would it make? Look at verse 14. Because this is God speaking to us now. Because he, the faithful one, holds fast to me, the Lord, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. The reason we are able to do that is because we have already been wedded to God or promised to God as, as, as a bride and he has already placed his name upon us. And so we are able to hold fast or cleave. That's the, the marriage language. Because he has been cleaving to us. Uh, he's given us his name so that we know his name. And so we can soak in the verbs. I want you to look at the verbs of these three verses for just a moment. Your maker, who is your husband, vows to take care of you. His faithful his, his faithful spouse. Verses 14 through 16. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and finally show him my salvation. For now... You and I are told to expect suffering. We are told to expect trouble. In the Old Testament, if Israel believed and obeyed, she would be spared trouble. But you as Christians believe and obey and have trouble. In fact, more trouble often than the the unbelievers around you. Luke puts it this way. You'll be hated. Sometimes even family members will want to put you to death or will try to put you to death because of Christ. And yet Christ gives us peace and, and, and an understanding and joy in Him in this great paradox. A paradox, young friends, little the shorter people among us, a paradox are things that just don't seem to fit together. They don't seem to square up nicely. This is the way the Lord Jesus puts it. Not a hair on your head will perish. Not one will be lost. Nothing will touch you. Nothing will hurt you. While you are being killed by your endurance, you will gain your lives. There is no conflict in Jesus' mind that as we go through suffering in this life and even lose our lives, that we can also say our lives have been perfectly preserved and will be, will be um, reconstituted um, in heaven. Uh, the Lord, uh, Paul puts it this way in Philippians. You will be grant, it will be granted to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. It will be granted to you to suffer. Along with faith, you'll be granted to suffer. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says about this. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. We ask when we are uh, involved in tasting suffering, the first thing we ask is how can I get out of it? How can I get this thing over? How can I look at it in my rearview mirror? I want it done. The question we should be asking instead is what? Not how can I get out of it, but what can I get out of it? John Bradshaw uh, gives us a great picture uh, of living with an eye to the future. Um, He was an English reformer. In fact, he was uh, rounded up by Bloody Mary in the year 1555 and he was burned at the stake in London with a fellow by the name of John Leaf. John Leaf, and, and these were um, these were um, John Bradshaw's words, uh, right as they as they were being torched and would soon be dead. He said, "Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night." They can't take anything away from us, John Leaf, my brother. Have have good cheer. Hold on. We'll soon be dining with the Savior. You see, we are bruised in this world, but we are also bruising Satan's head. When in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trouble, we are able to make a declaration like that. They can't win. They can't win. Because I'm connected to Jesus and I'm going to see him soon. There are two things I would like you to take away from this passage as we look at verses 15 and 16. And the first one is this. I want you to soak in God's wedding vows. When in trouble or when suffering. I want you to soak in God's wedding vows, promises, commitments, when you are in trouble or when you suffer. Some of you may be sitting here this, this evening or hearing over the Internet um, with a, a measure of fear for your immediate future. One of the reasons for that is a change of administration that will affect our lives and our businesses uh, in some ways, perhaps some significant ways. We don't know what is going to happen um, in the months and a couple of years ahead. We're also concerned that there is a more virulent uh, form of the, of the virus that is on the horizon, that is already in our nation now, and, and causing that strain of the virus, causing deaths to be on the rise. These are things uh, that, uh, that distress us. And, and how is it that we are able to look at these things without becoming unglued? I, I want to uh, refer you to some words from, uh, from, from John Owen. Uh, John Owen uh, lived in, about a 100 years later, uh, from uh, uh, Bradshaw uh, in the mid-1600s. And he uh, was um, uh, vice chancellor at Oxford University. He was very wise and successful and influential. Uh, but in the second half of his life, he was pushed into obscurity uh, and underwent a social exile. He was hampered and, and harassed by a new government. Um, and, and perhaps worse than, certainly worse than any of those things, he witnessed uh, the burial of all 11 of his children. And after the death of the, of the, of the first 10 children, um, he wrote these words. A due contemplation of the glory of Christ will restore and compose the mind. It will lift the minds and hearts of believers above all the troubles of this life and is the sovereign antidote that will expel all the poison that is in them, which otherwise might perplex and enslave Their souls. That's a bold statement. And I had to confess to Gail this afternoon as I was reflecting on these things. It's difficult to preach on things that you don't have down yet. But there it is, John Owen's comments. The due contemplation of the glory of Christ will restore and compose the mind. It will lift the hearts of believers above the troubles of this life. And it's the sovereign antidote that will expel, expel all the poison that is in them, which otherwise might perplex and enslave their souls. What can help us? When he calls to me, this is the promise of God. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. We can be confident that the heart of Jesus is never cool towards us. He never departs from us out of irritation or shame. J.I. Packer puts it this way, Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. You are safe and secure in the loving grasp of Jesus, no matter what befalls you. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. And the second thing from verse 16 is to soak in God's vows, God's marriage vows, when you are discontent, when you are distressed. Life will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. Um, Each of us has been affected or or distressed in some ways as a result of this COVID virus that has shaken up the life of the church and our lives as, uh, as well. Why are these things going on? Once again, I want to point to the wisdom of J.I. Packer. Uh, He he says, if you ask, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? There will always be an answer. If your goal is to glorify God, there will always be an answer. And answer. You can be satisfied in your Christ. Now, true, more is coming, but you can be satisfied now as you wait for him. Uh, Calvin helps us here. He understands that we um, so often look to Christ for the gifts that he can give us. We look to Christ for what he can do for us. We, we want that happy frame of mind. We want the people around us to cooperate and do the things that we'd like them to do so that our lives are easier. Amen? These are things we desire. Calvin puts it this way. We are not supposed to seek in Christ something else than Christ himself. I'll, I'll bring it up to today a little bit better, I guess. We, do, we are not supposed to seek in Christ anything else other than Christ himself. What delights you? Um, what delights someone in a good and pleasant marriage? It is not all the things their spouse can do for them, although those are nice. It it is seeing and holding and and knowing that spouse. And each of you has that in Jesus. A perfect spouse who knows you, who loves you deeply, who walks with you in your trouble, and who says, Be satisfied in me, for I am your hope. With long life, I will satisfy him. God's promise is, and show him my salvation. Does God overpromise and under deliver? <laughs> Not ever. The fullness of this promise. To behold now the wonder of Jesus and to know that more is coming. That's all our hearts actually fully crave and love. Jesus Himself awaits. He is here now with us, and he awaits in fullness as our groom. Let's pray. Lord and Savior, I pray that we would be able to walk away from this psalm tonight, recognizing that you do not um, over-promise and under-deliver but you have given us the Savior. And let us, when, when our hearts become so confused and so clutching and grasping, uh, may we instead see our Savior and, and say that he is enough, that he is the ultimate good, the ultimate um, security. And so we pray in his glorious name tonight, uh, change us through word and spirit that we might be people markedly different from those around us who fret. May we be characterized by a calmness, a gentleness, and a joy that comes from knowing deeply the precious heart of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.